Welcome to the Canadian Pediatric Society's Resident Section Executive Meet the Residents podcast. With visiting electives cancelled again this year, we recognize how hard it can be to get to know the programs and the people that make them up. We're here to bring you one step closer to the residents so that you can hear firsthand what it's like to practice at the various institutions. Please note that the opinions in this interview represent only those of the pediatric residents and do not necessarily represent the institutions where they practice. Today we chat with Alyssa and Rebecca, who are both third-year residents at the University of Alberta Pediatrics program. They are also the current chiefs, so really know the ins and outs of the program. Let's learn more and hear about what they have to say. All right, so thank you so much to Alyssa and Rebecca, who are from the University of Alberta Pediatrics program. Uh, Thank you for joining us to tell us a little bit more about your experience in the program and help us get to know it a little bit more. Yeah, we're so excited. Thank you for having us. And before we sort of get talking about the University of Alberta PEDS program and get to learn some of your favorite things about it, we'll start off by just getting to know both of you a little bit better as well. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of where you're from, uh, where you did your undergrad, where you did your med school, if you did something in between undergrad and med school, and kind of where you are in residency today. Yeah, so I can go first. Um, I'm Alyssa. I am from a small town in southwestern Manitoba called Killarney, Manitoba, um, and grew up there. And then I went to Winnipeg for both my undergraduate and my medical school at the University of Manitoba. Um, My undergrad was in biology, so pretty traditional stream, and then did the four-year medical program at U of M. And then I moved to Edmonton for my pediatrics residency, so it was my first time kind of leaving my home province. My name's Rebecca, and um, I grew up in Kitchener, Ontario, so Southwest Ontario, for those who aren't familiar with it. I did my undergrad degree at the University of Toronto, and I studied global health and ethics, society, and law. And then I did my medical school at McMaster, and I went to their regional campus, which was also in Kitchener. And then I made a leap to go to Alberta for my residency program. Okay, perfect. And obviously, we're talking sort of all things PEDS today. So was PEDS something that you both sort of knew you were interested in going into med school? Was it something you sort of discovered along the way? Or was there another specialty you had in mind, but somehow PEDS came together nicely for you? Uh, For me, I think PEDS was something that I always knew I was interested in, even before I went to medical school, like through my undergrad. And then through med school, it kind of remained the same thing that I wanted to do. I was briefly swayed by anesthesia for a bit. I think for about a week, I wanted to be a trauma surgeon, but ultimately always wanted to do pediatrics. And then once I started my residency, I realized that I was in pediatrics, but then I needed to decide what, what I needed to decide what I wanted to do within peds. And so that's something that I'm still kind of figuring out right now. But I always kind of was on the same track, never really swayed too much. Um, I had a bit of a different story than Alyssa. I liked children, obviously. You don't go into meetings if you don't like children. And I did lots of volunteer work with children. But going into medicine, I never thought that I wanted to do pediatrics. And I actually loved every rotation I did. So I was going to be an OB. I was going to be a rural family. I was going to do psychiatry. I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And then I got to my peds clerkship rotation towards the end of clerkship. And I realized that it just had the best of all worlds, that you had like some acuity, some procedures, longitudinal relationships, inpatient, outpatient. You got to like do public health and preventive medicine. It just like was the best of everything I loved. And so it really clicked for me. There was no doubt after that, that pediatrics was like the best of all medicine. Um, No offense if you want something else. Um, 
but that's kind of when I got led into peds. And then I think I'll probably end up doing a more general type of rural regional pediatrics um, because I enjoyed the breadth that it offers. Okay, great. So you both kind of came from slightly different backgrounds of kind of your interest in peds, but somehow in the end, it sort of came together nicely for you that that was kind of what you knew you wanted to do. Great. And now that we sort of know a little bit more about both of you, we'll start off on sort of a big scale picture looking at the institution at the University of Alberta and kind of how things are set up in place for residents who are coming in. So you both offer a nice perspective because you didn't do your med school um, at the U of A. So you kind of had that transition obviously coming from a different province, but also coming into sort of a new hospital and new environment. So what was your experience in kind of making that transition and were there any challenges or surprises that you found with that change? Um, I can speak first, I suppose. Um, I think our experience was also unique given that we started before COVID hit. So I recognize that the this year of CARMS applicants has slightly a different experience. But I think my experience was overall really positive. I think the U of A itself offered a lot of um, support through formal and informal mentorship opportunities, but also um, the group of residents that U of A has and the staff are just exceedingly, exceedingly welcoming. And so our PD had us for a barbecue in their backyard like the first week of residency and our group was off like hiking with each other in the Rockies by, I don't know, within the first two weeks of residency. And so I think that really set the stage for a smooth transition because very quickly it became apparent that I was going to work with people who were also going to be my dear friends and so that really um, eased the transition of moving to a new province and I think it helped that lots of us came from out of province and so we could figure out driver's license applications and health card applications together and kind of help each other along so it was much more smooth than expected I would say. Yeah, and I can maybe add to that, um, echoing all of what Rebecca said and also recognizing that there's the transition not only from you know, your medical school to your residency program, but also moving cities and moving provinces and kind of the shift that comes with that. And not having any, you know, family here and having a few friends, but they were scattered around the province. That was also a bit of an adjustment. But I think CARMS is kind of a unique opportunity to have this chance in your life where you can say, yeah, I have this opportunity to pick up and move to a completely different city if I want to and see what it's like there and meet new people and have new circles. So I think that was a really positive experience. I think we both had very positive experiences, um, but definitely stressful at the start of everything else that you're learning at the same time. Okay, so sort of a nice gradual um, adjustment to your new environment, kind of the expectations there. And obviously sort of there's a big transition from being a med student to then being a resident, but that kind of transitions don't stop there. You go from being a junior resident to senior resident and your responsibilities change along the way as well. Um, what are some ways that you feel that the program sort of supports these important transitions that residents um, have throughout the residency? Maybe I can speak to the transition from med student to junior resident. Um, and I would say that our program has some formal things. So we have a formal like R1 boot camp that runs for the first, um, I think it's 10 days of residency. So first 10 days of July, and that includes some like CPR and NRP and PALS. And um, it includes lots of other sessions provided to the residents about some basics. And then um, we have like a resident mentoring and a staff resident mentoring program. So residents new R1s be paired with a staff and an upper year resident for mentorship and then we also have um, the opportunity to do some buddy call shifts so before the r1s are placed on call on their own they have an opportunity to kind of shadow um, 
some of the residents who've been around a little longer to kind of get a flavor of what that's like um, before they're thrown in on, on their own. And then there's also lots of social programming that we do um, in whatever restriction phase we're in, we find a way um, to try to host something, even if it's a barbecue outside or something like that, in order to have some more cohesive group welcoming as well. So I think those are probably most of the more formal ways that we kind of try to set up that transition. And then um, our, our PDs have been amazing during um, the transition to CDME about doing lots of regular check-ins around EPAs and meeting the foundation. So I think that's provided our ones with lots of transitioning support to as they move into, um, um, yeah, their transition to discipline. Yeah, and then I can maybe speak to the junior to senior transition. Um, so the way our program works is that in your first year, you're doing all junior resident rotations. When you're on your CTU, for example, you take the role of the CTU junior. And then our second year is kind of this transition to senior year where you start to senior a CTU team, but it's smaller, it's half the census of the larger teams. And with less people, it's just you and some medical students. So it allows residents to have that chance to have autonomy and learning how to manage a team without having all of the challenges and all of the stress that you might experience on a larger um, CTU team. And then uh, we also have a transition to senior overnight call uh, schedule kind of set up where around this time in the year, our residents who are current R2s will have these buddy shifts that they schedule with R3s or R4s where they get the chance to kind of shadow and see what the senior residents are doing and then have the chance to do that themselves with the senior resident in-house support so that they're not just thrown into their first night of senior call on their own, but they actually have a few different opportunities to see different perspectives and how different people do things um, with the goal that by the end of their second year, they're fully transitioned. And then our, our three-year, most of your rotations then are senior resident rotations, so CTU senior, for example, development senior. Um, and in our fourth year, there's the focus on transition to practice. So our fourth year residents who are doing gen peds, for example, um, do their transition to, or uh, sorry, their buddy staff um, or junior staff rotations if they want. Um, and there's a bit more of a focus on having them have, you know, that full independence and autonomy that they'll have when they leave residency and start their own practices. Okay, so sounds like good sort of supports, regardless of what that transition is, there's a lot of good supports that are implemented in place already. And for sort of everybody who's trying to envision what things are like in the institution, what does it look like in terms of interaction that you would have, you know, coming in as a junior resident with other juniors, with seniors, fellows, staff, and sort of how does that, um, how do those interactions change as you also progress through your residency? Yeah, I can maybe start with that. I'd say like we have, we're very lucky in that we have a very close and um, very good relationship with our staff. Um, not just our hospitalists and CTU staff that we work with the most frequently, but as well as our subspecialists. And so um, it's a program that's the right size, I think, in that you can still know everybody by name and, you know, the staff all know all of the residents. Um, and that extends out to the other, you know, healthcare workers that we work with as well. So the nurses, the RTs, the OTs, um, charge nurses, all of that. I think the further you go through residency the more I've seen you know individual staff kind of ask what I want to do and help try and tailor my my learning goals to that and so because I'm pursuing a career in subspecialty pediatrics um, they're able to kind of give me that guidance and kind of give me those learning experiences that I think will be really valuable for what I want to do moving forward and that's the kind of thing that I think um, our program is really nice in that it allows um, it allows that because we know them so well and because they know us so well and so on a professional level 
um, they're really looking out for us and trying to make sure that we kind of have our professional and educational needs met. I agree with Alyssa that I think the size is crucial and um, we have a resident lounge where like all 45 of us have lockers and so you actually get to see your friends every day and we spend like nine months out of our 12 months for most years at the same site so therefore you truly see your your colleagues even if you're on different rotations um you get even that like oh grabbing my lunch or like putting my shoes away how how's your day going um even when you're on a rotation that wouldn't usually interact and so i think that even helps build resident cohesion and then um, we have some wonderful fellows as well that I would say we're overall pretty close to because there's usually a few in each subspecialty each year so we get to know them and they get to know us quite well, but I don't feel like we're so flooded um, that we don't get opportunities as senior residents or junior residents on those rotations. So um, there's some weeks where you will have a senior fellow, but there's many weeks where as the PEDS resident, you might be the most senior resident on that subspecialty even. And so then it comes with that additional learning opportunity, I would say. And so I think it's a really nice balance of um, sometimes having more senior learners on with you, but also sometimes being the more senior learner. And so there's a good balance of teaching and responsibility, I think, that we're given. And I would echo what what Alyssa said that our staff are incredible and many of them we would know even on a first name basis and have their phone numbers and be texting about yeah like hey we need help with this or can we meet you after for some life advice and um, I think we feel really well supported by them. Okay great so thank you for that sort of nice overview of how things are done you know on a big scale institution level. We'll zone zone in a little bit on sort of the specifics about the program and we'll start off with one of the most popular questions and I'm sure one that you love to answer as well which is what are your favorite parts of the University of Alberta PEDS program? This is like an easy one for us to answer and might sound really cheesy but pretty much every time someone asks us we say it's the people and that's true yeah you you are going to receive excellent training everywhere and we think our program is excellent but um i think the difference really is like are these people that you respect really want to learn from and also like peers that you can go to even in the hardest times and i found that like our program is for full of staff members who are extraordinarily supportive um excellent clinicians but also like um, people that I really respect as human beings and then my peer group of residents is full of people who are my dearest friends and so um, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else for that reason just because I love the people at U of A so much. <laughs> yeah and I just I would totally echo that like it's the people for me as well and so echoing all of what Rebecca said and just saying how lucky I am that I started at this new residency program where I didn't really know that many people and I like what incredible luck I had to kind of find my place with 40 new best friends kind of right off the start. And yeah, just how how much we all really love each other. It sounds, it's the cheesiest thing in the world. It really is. But it's definitely, I think if you ask anybody from our program, they'll say the people. And it's a shame that in COVID, um, you know, we don't necessarily get to show that off in the same way we would in in-person interviews and interactions. But um, it's something that we're very proud of. Wonderful. Thank you for highlighting that. I'm sure sort of really nice for incoming residents to hear that they'd be joining such a nice, warm, welcoming group. Um, and then, of course, in kind of thinking about wonderful things that programs have in place, there is usually the other side to consider as well, which is there's always sort of room for improvement and ways where, you know, there might be some issues that arise that, you know, you want the program to be responsive to and make some changes. Are there any ways that you feel the program is kind of currently trying to make any changes or improve in any way? 
Yeah, I think one of the things that we've been talking about this year and we think about this question is um, how our NICU is structured in particular. And so the background of it is that we have a block of NICU in every year, R1 through R4. Um, but our main hospital that we do most of our work at doesn't actually have any deliveries, so you don't get that opportunity to, to do neonatal resuscitation um, and kind of taking care of brand new little babies. Um, in our second year, the, the rotation that's done at our main site is more of a surgical and cardiac NICU, which is cool in another sense. But recognizing that a lot of people who go into practice are going to need to know how to do, you know, neonatal recess and take care of level two, level three infants. Um, it's something that we think that we could have used a bit more exposure to. And so we're lucky in that, or I guess maybe not lucky, but we're addressing it in the sense that um, our PDs have been very responsive to resident feedback over the years saying this is something that we'd like to see more of. Um, and so they've changed within the current structure of how the NICU is set up, um, having a bit more SIM and having a bit more dedicated time with the resuscitation teams when you're on your NICU rotation. Um, now that um, some of our COVID restrictions have changed, residents are doing a few more cross coverage shifts in our NICUs so that if you, you know, for me, it'll be 18, 20 months from one NICU rotation to another. But in between, I can kind of go and keep my skills fresh. Um, that's something that we're feeling very well supported with. And then looking forward, we're trying to see how we can tailor the NICU experiences a little bit better to each person's level of training. So recognizing that your R1 experience is going to be very different than your R3 or R4 experience. And so our um, program has been very receptive to resident feedback, saying that's an area we need to fix. And it's something that um, they're actively working with us and with everybody, all the other stakeholders to try and address. Okay, great. Definitely reassuring to sort of hear when a program recognizes, you know, some things that are brought up by residents and is able to actually make those changes um, to sort of suit the needs that arise. And then sort of another hot topic question that everybody always has when they're looking at programs is kind of the call schedule, because obviously that's a big change from kind of the call that maybe you have as a med student to that of a resident. So what's the call schedule? What's the structure of it kind of um, as you're coming in as a junior resident? And we'll tag along to that question um, a bit of your experience doing call and how you found a way to sort of balance that with the rest of your life as well. Um, I think we're really lucky to have a night float system in Edmonton. And so for those who are unfamiliar, it essentially means that there is one month of the year that's broken up into one to two week chunks in which you are dedicated to work on nights to staff the Gen P's ward. Um, and then, so you'd work approximately four shifts in that week. Um, but then this means that during the rest of your rotations, when you're on subspecialty or on CTU, that you are covering much less night calls. So therefore you're not having as so many post call days and you're not missing out on the learning that are offered on those rotations. Um, so that continues on as juniors, you do two week blocks and then as seniors, you do one week blocks. And then um, later in the R4 year, you're call protected for your Royal College studying. And so that's um, a real benefit in that sense from overnight call. Um, but I think our residents find it overall manageable. So probably on average then in most months when you are not on night float and not on a rotation that does their own call schedule, such as Gen, Surge, NICU or PICU, 
or merge, then you probably end up working about four to five call shifts in a month, which is averages to about one in seven, which is pretty good overall. Um, and then we find a way to stack it. And when you're on night float, you're off for the day. So you can sleep all day. You can go to the dentist, the doctor. You can take your car to get fixed. You can do all those things that as a resident, you usually don't have time to do. And so it's actually quite nice to have some daytime hours off um, for a whole month of the year that's broken up. So that's our call um, schedule for the most part and we um, as chiefs we take call requests usually three months in advance and so people know their call schedules at least two months in advance and we try to accommodate all the requests residents have they have at least two weekends off a month um, and so i actually find the call pretty manageable we also have a backup call system um, where residents are paid to just be in edmonton and available if they are needed um, which residents also really like because this allows for if there's emergencies or sick leave, um, we have a system whereby we can easily activate the resident who is designated rather than always having to pull from the general residency group. So I think our call schedule allows for um, a really good amount of coverage, but also allows people to plan their lives and to get away and do things they love. So um, I spend many a weekend in the mountain, despite the fact that I'm chief and in my third year and um, that we have call to do. And I think our call schedule really allows for a good work-life balance. Okay, great. And sort of obviously with the night float schedule, sounds like, you know, you have time to prioritize things in your own life and kind of your own wellness. Um, and as great as sort of those things are, it's also important to have a program that also supports wellness, uh, because obviously residency is sort of a journey and a difficult one at times. What are some of the wellness activities that are undertaken by the program to help support residents? Yeah, we have, I guess you could look at it from a formal activities and informal activities perspective. So formally what our program has is we have a resident retreat every year that usually outside of COVID times is in the fall in Canmore where all residents are call protected. We go out for a whole weekend. We uh, have a couple activities planned. We have a wellness speaker that's usually one of our staff um, pediatricians who comes and chats with us about life or any other topics that we want them to address. And really it's just an excellent time to get out of the city and spend time together. Um, this year and last year, because of COVID, things got changed a little bit with the restrictions. And so we've actually had two virtual um, resident retreats, which, again, were both like call protected weekends where residents could just kind of be out of the hospital. Um, some of it was on Zoom. Some of it was outdoors where restrictions allowed um, and just really a chance to have fun together and bond over something that wasn't just medicine. Um, we have a um, we have a couple of wellness half days every year that are built into our academic curriculum. So I think last year's the most recent one we did was we built um, little terrariums together over Zoom and it was a ton of fun. Um, we have a social committee and a wellness committee that help plan events um, for the residents alongside the chiefs. And so um, like this week, for example, we have our virtual Christmas party coming up. Um, in regular non-COVID times, we would get together at a staff pediatrician's house and have a night of, you know, hanging out together and presents and food and fun. Um, and then I think there's a lot of, um, because it's such a close-knit group and because, you know, the people all really like each other, there's a lot that we do more informally as well. So whether that's, you know, movie nights or Netflix marathons at someone's place or um, kind of getting together in the park and seeing who's around and throwing around a frisbee and listening to some music or going climbing together. Um, there's a ton of different activities that um, everybody's like everybody's welcome to come and join and that um, we usually get pretty good turnout and pretty good attendance for. Um, and so 
yeah, from a formal lens and an informal lens, there's a few different wellness activities um, that we do. We also have in our lounge like a wellness meter so people can submit like how they're feeling that week and then we kind of do check-ins based on that. We have a recognition, a star jar, so residents can submit like a colleague that they want to nominate to be recognized that month, which we then give it Starbucks gift cards. Um, yeah, we have like lots of other things that I think we're both forgetting to at this time, but I would say our program really tries to emphasize wellness and our PDs um, are implementing kind of some changes to have a thriving by design curriculum so that it's designed actually for resident success. So we're really thankful for that. And I forgot to add one of the most important things I think for both of our wellness is that we have a general store in our lounge <laughs> that was just started last year. Um, because residents would say, you know, overnight there's not any food options in our hospital and when it's 3 a.m. and you're starving or you're tired, what do you do? And so it's stocked with um, a lot of probably pretty unhealthy food, but at 3 a.m. <laughs> that's what you want is you want chips or chocolate or an ice cream bar or a Coke Zero. And so it's been very, very well received and we actually know a few different programs across the country have also kind of looked into that idea to adopt it as their own. So it's such a small thing, but I think it makes a huge difference for your wellness when it's 3 a.m. and you're on call. Also, we live near the Rocky Mountains, and that exceedingly contributes to my wellness. So any weekend you can spend in the, in the mountains is worth like 100 nights on call. So really, it, in the end, it tips in favor of wellness. Okay, amazing. So sort of a nice overview of, you know, like you said, the more formal wellness things that the program puts in place, but also just kind of the more casual things that all add up to really provide that support and wellness when things, you know, might get a bit tough during residency. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned briefly before that there's both formal and informal mentorship that's built into the program. What does that look like exactly? In your first year, you kind of um, submit, even I think before you start, you fill out a survey about your interests and then they try to match you to a staff pediatrician who's like maybe in the same area that you're interested in or say you're interested in social pediatrics who maybe runs one of the like clinics for refugees or newcomers or in the in the downtown center and then that pediatrician will kind of check in with you have coffee with you email you help you kind of prepare as you go forward to think about your career but also getting through residency and then similarly we match up an R1 and an R2 every year and they stay your buddy for the rest of residency so they kind of walk with you through the rest of residency as like your mentor buddy um, and again mostly doing more informal style check-ins but somebody that's kind of there if you need. Um, I would say many residents also find mentorship just from staff who um, they share an interest in that field and the staff are more than willing to mentor somebody to go into that field. Um, and then we also help set up research mentorship opportunities. So we have an R1 speed dating research event every year where there's staff who have interesting research projects and all the R1s get to walk around and see all the projects that are available. And so there's um, support too for um, mentorship within even non clinical fields, but rather in like a research field opportunity. Um, and I think those are the main ways that I can think of for mentorship. But um, yeah, there's like, those are the, all the formal ways. But then I would say informally, many of us talk to the fellows and say, how did you structure your fourth year of your life in order to get where you are today? And so we have lots of that going on as well. Okay, so definitely a nice mix of kind of connecting with the people around you formally and informally to try to get those questions answered. 
All right, wonderful. So thank you both for sort of giving us those highlights about the program and answering sort of some of the most frequently asked questions. Before we switch uh, gears a little bit, is there anything else that you wanted to highlight that you think makes the U of A program different or unique in kind of comparison to maybe some other pediatric institutions across Canada? I think um, one of the things that makes Edmonton unique and one of the things that drew me to the program when I was a medical student applying to CARMS is that we're one of the, or we're the Western Canada kind of uh, cardiac surgery center and one of the main surgical sites for kind of this half of the country. And so we do all solid organ transplants here. Um, we do cardiac surgery here. And so we have, um, you know, infants and children who are flown in from Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta and BC and from the Northern Territories um, all to come to Edmonton here. And as residents, it's something that you see when you're on your NICU and your PICU and your surgical rotations, you're helping to take care of these infants with very complex medical needs and very um, interesting medical needs. And that's something that I was interested in as a medical student because I knew that that was unique to this program and not something that you can necessarily have at other places. And I wanted to be where the action was happening. And so that's something that I really love about Edmonton. And it's something that I think is a really cool experience that you can have as a resident as you're going through just your general pediatrics residency. Yeah, I would echo what Alyssa said that like, um, I think I was shocked by um, the extreme like quaternary level of care that's in Edmonton because I think sometimes people think, oh, Edmonton, which maybe I had thought before I came here, but um, like, I think then you start going through those rotations and you think, oh my gosh, like this is, crazy cutting edge medicine that I get to be a part of. So like we're the second busiest congenital heart surgery program in all of Canada is in Edmonton. And we're the major trauma center for all of Northern Alberta, which is huge. Edmonton's only like halfway up Alberta as far as um, latitude goes. And we're the ACMO center for Alberta, Northwest Territories, Northern BC, Northern Saskatchewan and all of Manitoba. And so we end up just seeing um, such a variety of really interesting, rare, complex, diseases and then we get to see kind of those children through that acute center but then it's really a privilege because we have such a big catchment area we have rotations that allow us to go out into smaller communities get to go to Yellowknife or Red Deer or some of the reserves that are in northern Alberta and then to see these children and follow up and think wow I was there the day after you had your like transposition of your great artery repair and now I get to see you as a two-year-old like thriving back at home it's really really special I think um, and just to see the amazing families who um, have given so much to their children, I think it's a really unique part of our program that um, I love so much. Great. Thank you for highlighting those. And again, thank you for giving us that nice highlight about the program. You've walked us through how things are done at the institution. So now we'll zoom in even further and kind of look at how your day to day is like. And I think this is a piece that a lot of students are missing out on this year because they can't sort of come and experience things for themselves. So we'll sort of get your take on how things are done. So we'll start off very basic with the question of charting and how that's done um, at your institution. Is it done through paper charts? Is there an EMR that's used? And you know, if you want to access patient information who's coming from out of hospital, how's that done exactly? I can take that one. So um, we use electronic charts at our major center that we do most of our rotations at. Um, and most of the other places that we do rotations will have transitioned in the next year or so to it. Um, it's Epic or Connect Care, which I think is the same as they use in Geo and SickKids. And uh, we just transitioned to that over the past couple of years in Rebecca and I in our first year. It's 
uh, I'd say like it's very nice and user friendly and it allows you to work kind of remotely on your own laptop or tech stuff on your phone if you'd like. Um, I'm still learning how to have a bit of work-life balance and not look at patient lists when I'm at home, but that's just a curiosity thing for me. Um, and then a lot of our outpatient clinics um, and some of our NICUs that aren't at our major center, for example, are still using paper charts that they'll have transitioned onto EPIC in the next year or so. Um, and then accessing information from rural regions, um, again, depends on kind of what they're using, more and more transitioning to the EMR that's gonna be eventually province linked um, across all of Alberta. Um, but we have uh, NetCare, which is kind of our uh, website or system that we use to access, you know, um, consult notes and patient labs and imaging and that kind of thing. And that's universal through Alberta. Uh, so I don't think it's ever really been too much of a problem in terms of being able to access information during a residency. Okay, great. And you've already touched on sort of the region's catchment area that it's quite large and sort of the diversity in the population that, you know, that's going to entail given the large catchment area. What are sort of some specifics about the population that you tend to see coming through the doors? Edmonton has a, quite a large Indigenous population, both that lives within Edmonton, but also there's many, many surrounding reserves. And so um, I think that provides a great opportunity um, for learning and for, um, yeah, learning how to provide like culturally safe medicine I think as well and we have an indigenous office in our hospital that provides services to families who many of whom have traveled quite far from their home communities um, including some families that come from the northwest territories and um, quite remote Inuit communities as well um, which is a really really amazing opportunity that we have to serve such a diverse and large catchment area um, in addition Edmonton has um, also a population of refugees who have come from various places um, and many places in the Arabic speaking world. And so um, there's an opportunity to do as well some immigrant and refugee medicine as well in, in some parts of Edmonton and some of the clinics that residents regularly rotate through. And so I would say um, those are two kind of patient populations that I think um, we often end up working with a lot and learning a lot from. And then you've also kind of given us an idea about some of maybe the more acute cases that you tend to see and sort of the surgical cases that you tend to see given um, what's what can be done at the site. What are other common presentations that you tend to see maybe on a more day-to-day -day basis sort of coming through eMERGE, being admitted on the wards? This time of year, I would say it is a lot of viruses, <laughs> a lot of RSV bronchiolitis which I know is not going to be unique to Edmonton in which every PEDS program is probably saying right now. Um, but definitely in the fall and the winter, um, we see a lot of respiratory viruses. Um, we uh, do high flow on our general pediatrics ward, which is a bit unique to Edmonton because I know in some other centers, um, that's something that's kind of more in their step down units or their PICU. So our residents get good at managing acuity when it comes to respiratory illnesses, um, just in their general peds rotations. Um, and then I'd say a lot of the other things are probably the same as you would see across Canada, um, you know, babies with failure to thrive, teenagers who may be dealing with an eating disorder, um, lots of mental health kind of in these crazy COVID times and how teenagers have been navigating the pandemic. We have all subspecialty rotations at um, the Stollery, and so residents can kind of rotate through all of those. And we have rural college training programs for almost all of the subspecialty rotations too, which means that you're often working with fellows and again, kind of getting the learning from them as well. So there's a lot of breadth in terms of 
of what we see in our patients. So now that you've sort of given us a nice view of kind of what your day to day is like and kind of what someone, a new resident can expect, you know, being in the hospital, we'll take a step further away from the hospital and kind of residency altogether and look at the other side to things and the other parts of your life and kind of what living in Edmonton would be like. So we'll start off with kind of what are your favorite things to do with your time off and what things are available to you in Edmonton? Great question. Personally, I love to be outside, as does Alyssa. Her answer might be similar to mine, though she knows better food spots, so I'll let her talk about that. But Edmonton has an amazing river valley that runs right through it. The university is just south of it. One side, most of us live near the river valley, so there's excellent trails if you like to walk or bike or run or cross-country ski. Um, and so I go, I walk along the river valley like three or four nights a week to see the sunset. Um, I bought a paddleboard, so I get to paddleboard down the river, which is super fun. You could do that after half day, for instance. Um, there's lots of great outdoor places to be in Edmonton. There's like 17 plus bridges that cross the river. And so we went to the bike tour over all those bridges. Yes, we are nerds. I know, but it was so fun. Um, so I really like to be outside and Edmonton's an amazing place to do that. I think also just the proximity of Edmonton. It's three and a half hours from Jasper, three and a half hours from Canmore, four hours from Banff, three hours from Kananaskis. Like you can be um, in the heart of the Rocky Mountains in places that people like from all over the world fly to see um, within like three hours. So there's been months this year, actually I think three or four months out of the year where every other weekend I was in the mountains, like hiking or camping, if you like to ski or snowboard, that's there for you. Um, there's just such an opportunity to be outside and to really witness like something that is so magical. And so I, I think that's a huge way that my wellness has increased. Um, Edmonton has all the amenities of a, of a big city that you could ever want. You can go to Ikea and you can go to Jollibee and you can go to West Ed Mall and you can go climbing multiple different climbing gyms like there's so many options that are there um but I really do think we're located in a really stunning part of the country so that's my favorite part of it at least and my answer is very very similar to Rebecca's we're basically the same person um but lots of in the summertime like I've put thousands of kilometers on my bike um and running in the river valley and lots of hiking and camping I think probably yeah probably every weekend there's at least one or two groups of people who have gone out to go camp overnight in the summertime. Um, tonight, I'm planning one of my ski trips that I'm gonna take hopefully in a couple of weeks here um, out in the Kananaskis area. I There's a lot of really great breweries in Edmonton and kind of the surrounding area. And so those are something that I've been enjoying checking out. And our residents currently have like a beer advent calendar that we're all participating in. So I still have to see what tonight's pick is, but I'm really excited for it. Um, lots of great foods. I live right beside a farmer's market. I go every Saturday that I'm not working. And so I think one of the things that I really love about Edmonton is that, yeah, you do get to have all of that like outdoor time, which is something that Rebecca and I both really like. Um, but it's also a big city that feels quite small. And so, you know, moving from Winnipeg to Edmonton, I've found that they're both very similar cities and that you don't feel like it's like this huge bustling, you know, super urban metropolis, like metropolitan area, which I really love. Um, it's like very down to earth and people are very sweet and friendly and I really enjoyed it so far. There's also so many festivals in Edmonton, which obviously COVID has put a damper on, but there's like an amazing folk fest that a bunch of us went to 
pre-COVID, which was recorded online last year and not quite the same. But there's lots of like outdoor festivals and people make the best of the weather even. Like, so there's lots of winter festivals with ice sculptures and fire pits that are lit at the skating parks. And it's like a very um, friendly city to like encourage the thriving of culture and communities. And so I think um, that's a really huge draw in Edmonton as well. Very family friendly city too. Okay, so definitely sounds like there's not a shortage of things that you can do. Always something to look around for. Okay, perfect. And for people who maybe don't live in Edmonton now and are hoping to move there, what's the cost of living like that they can expect? I'd say it's a pretty reasonable city to live in, especially for a city at size. Um, I moved here from Manitoba, which has a very, very affordable cost of living, I think, compared to the rest of the country. And I found it was pretty similar. For example, like I live in one of the neighborhoods that's close to the university and um, lots of like shops and shopping and parks and stuff around. And I pay around $1,500 a month for rent um, with parking additional to that. Um, and I'd say most people are paying for an apartment to one bedroom apartment, like 1100 to 1600 um, A lot of our residents have families and so they've bought houses kind of in neighborhoods close to the university or the suburbs that are close to the university. Gas is usually pretty like reasonably priced being in Alberta here, um, same with groceries and other amenities. So I'd say the cost of living is is pretty good. Yeah, I think it's definitely cheaper than most places in Ontario, like definitely cheaper than where I'm from in Ontario, um, especially if you're interested in buying a home. Um, Edmonton's housing market, I think, is a lot more reasonable than many cities right now. So. All right. And you've already sort of given us a nice long list of things that you can do in Edmonton. But for people, you know, thinking about vacation time and going elsewhere, what does that look like for the program in terms of how many weeks do you get and sort of how can you split them up throughout the year? Yeah, we get four weeks of vacation that you most residents choose to split up throughout, but you have a lot of flexibility in when you schedule them. We get kind of our master block like months in advance of when the year starts and then it has like many many gaps that can be filled with electives or vacations or subspecialty and so most residents choose to take it in one week chunks but you could take three weeks at a time if that's your heart's desire um so we have four weeks of that you also have an additional six guaranteed days over the christmas holiday at some point either over christmas or over new year's and then you have four flex days a year as well um which you can take whenever you want and those can be made into four long weekends spread throughout the year it can be a random Thursday off because you really want to go see the opening of the Marvel movie at 7 a.m like it can be whenever you want so it ends up that we really have like six weeks of vacation a year which I actually think is pretty great and then if you count our research weeks which you can do your research from anywhere so many residents so you are call eligible will still choose to go away for part of the research week when they're not on call and then you can consider night flow, which you can stack accordingly and make a little wiggle room. We end up that we have like quite a good amount of time. So we do have residents who commute back and forth from even other provinces to see like a partner. Um, and they definitely find a way to make it work um, because of the flexibility of our schedule and the ample vacation time we have. Okay, perfect. All right. So thank you both so much for walking us through how things are done at the U of A PEDS program, giving us a nice overview of sort of how how things are done on an institution level, highlighting some aspects of the program um, that applicants are always curious about, and then kind of the day-to-day, -day, but also giving us an idea of what it would be like to move to Edmonton and live in the city. Before we close off, are there any pieces of advice that you would give medical students who are specifically interested in the U of A PEDS program? I would say 
I mean, my advice is pretty general, I think, to all CARMS programs, but just acknowledging first and foremost, CARMS is a stressful time um, because it is a big decision. Um, but kind of now looking back at, at it in hindsight, um, it's also a very fun experience in that you can kind of imagine yourself living in all these different places and where you might want to go. Um, I think something that somebody told me that I really took to heart and something that I try and tell people is that uh, it's not the be all and end all of everything. So, you know, just because you may not match to your first choice program or your first choice location doesn't mean that's not going to be an amazing experience. And I think there's this mindset of growing where you're planted and just kind of recognizing that um, where you end up, the people around you are also there with you and it can end up being just like beautiful, magical marvelous thing um and you know if it truly doesn't work out i've had friends who have switched um programs or even switched specialties kind of part way through residency and so nothing is ever final and it sounds cheesy to say everything works out but i think overall for pretty much everybody things do work out so enjoy the ride yeah i um we would love to see you at our like comms info night at our socials around interview time um i would say like be yourself, which sounds like also cheesy, but it's true. I think our program has an amazing knack for, for recruiting people who are awesome and who genuinely care about each other and care about their patients and care about being the best pediatricians as possible. And um, I think we end up with a really amazing group of residents. And so I hope, I hope that you get to be part of it. It's pretty great. So we look forward to connecting with you. I think that's a great way to end off. So thank you again for taking the time to let us get to know you a little bit better and the U of A Peds program. It's been great to learn about it more through your experiences. Thanks so much, Nadine. Thanks. Yeah, to thanks so much for having us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Canadian Pediatric Society's Meet the Residents podcast. We hope you found it helpful to hear directly from the residents about their experiences. To learn more, check out our other episodes featuring residents from other institutions across Canada.